0: Obviously, I'm not Susan Werther. I'm filling in for her today. We'll read from Galatians chapter 4 today into the chapter 5, the beginning. But let's ask God's help first. And the written word, our Bible, give us insight to understand, to see, to hear, to listen carefully to your word. Amen. Tell me, you who desire to be subject to the law, will you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by an enslaved woman and the other by a free woman. One, the child of the enslaved woman, was born according to the flesh. The other, the child of the free woman, was born through the promise. Now this is an allegory. These women are two covenants. One woman, in fact, is Hagar from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the other woman corresponds to the Jerusalem above. She is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, you childless one, you who who bear no children burst into song and shout, you who endure no birth pangs. For the children of the desolate woman are more numerous than the children of the one who is married. Now you, my brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, like Isaac. But just as at that time the child who was born according to the flesh persecuted the child who was born according to the spirit, so it is now also But what does scripture say? Drive out the enslaved woman and her child, for the child of the enslaved woman will not share the inheritance with the child of the free woman. So then, brothers and sisters, we are children, not of an enslaved woman, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The word of the Lord.
1: So, if you were here last week, you know that uh, after our scripture reading, we had a little conversation about how confusing the text was. And I should have maybe warned you that this was the week that things would get really challenging. Uh, We are continuing today in our study of Paul's letter to the Galatians. And in fact, we've reached a text, a section of the letter that a number of scholars believe should be identified as the climax of the letter. And this might seem really strange uh, because uh, to our ears, this is a very odd, challenging text. It's it's quite dense and it has all these allusions uh, to Old Testament stories. In the middle, uh, Paul suddenly breaks out into song (laughs) with this poetry from uh, the book of Isaiah. Uh, But I I think seeing this uh, part of the letter as the climax uh, can actually help us grasp uh, what uh, Paul is doing here. Uh, We should maybe expect it to become dense. Uh, It's as if he's pulling out all the rhetorical stops in one last desperate attempt to convince Filtrated their community. Remember that Paul had started these churches on one of his missionary journeys around the Mediterranean, Uh, but after he had left, new teachers had come in who insisted that Paul had taught only half the truth. They said that it was great for uh, the Galatians to believe in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, but they also needed to obey the Jewish law in order to be saved. Uh, We've said a number of times uh, that they taught, believe in Jesus, uh, obey the law, and then you'll be saved. But Paul writes uh, to insist that the real good news, the true gospel, is believe in Jesus and you will be saved, and then obey out of love and gratitude for what God has done for you. Not believe and obey and you will be saved, but believe and you will be saved and then obey. So the, the central argument of this climatic section of the letter is that the Galatians and all of us have a decision to make between these two different Gospels. he's saying you haven't really grasped what Christians believe until you see this distinction between these two ways of life. So let's consider three ways in which Paul drives this home for us here today. Uh, First, Paul says that the Old Testament patriarch, Abraham, uh, had two sons representing these two ways of life, uh, Isaac and and Ishmael. Second, uh, their mothers represent two different covenants or ways of relating to God. And finally, he urges the Galatian Christians to live into two different kinds of freedom. So let's look at each of these. The two sons in verses 21 to 23, the two covenants in verses 24 to 27, and then uh, the two freedoms after verse 28. So let's start with the two sons. I I said that the the Galatian Christians were being told uh, that Paul had incompletely taught them about the biblical requirements for being a part of the people of God. If they wanted to be a part of Abraham's family, the new teachers said, they needed not only to believe in the Messiah, Jesus, but keep the law. And this is why Paul begins, tell me, you who desire to be subject to the law, will you not listen to the law? And Paul is making an important point here about how to read the Bible. The Galatian Christians were attracted by this idea of being biblical Christians, obeying God's word, but Paul is saying they're not reading carefully enough. The Hebrew word for law, Torah, can refer to two different things it can refer to God's law that's contained in books like Exodus and Leviticus, like the the Ten Commandments, or uh, the traditional Jewish commands like keeping kosher. But Torah can also refer to the first five books of the Bible as as Holy Scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the the five books of Moses. And what Paul was making uh, clear here is that they may be listening to the law as command, but they're not listening to it well as the story of Scripture. And he says, if you listen to the law by reading the whole story, you discover that it's not just rules and regulations, it's a history of God's relationship with his people. In other words, Paul is challenging uh, these Uh, these people who who want to be biblical Christians uh, to pay closer attention to the biblical story. In, In Genesis, the story of Abraham begins with God's promise that he would be the father of many nations and that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. But as the story develops, attention builds because Abraham's wife, Sarah, is barren, And as a result, they they take matters into their own hands and they use a surrogate in the form of Hagar, Sarah's servant, in order to have a child, in order to bring fulfillment uh, to what they believe God wants for them. Uh, Hagar gives birth to Ishmael, and it's only much later that the promise is finally fulfilled uh, to Sarah when she gives birth to Isaac in her old age. Uh, Paul summarizes in verse 23. Verse 23. One son, the child of the enslaved woman, was born according to the flesh. Uh, The other, the child of the free woman, was born according to the promise. On the Reflections page today, I put a quote uh, from the pastor and author, uh, Eugene Peterson, uh, because I thought he summarized really well the, the main point that Paul is making here. Let me me share what he says with you. he writes this, "Uh, the interrelated births of Isaac and Ishmael are treated carefully and meditatively in Genesis uh, chapter 16 to 21. Uh, Out of those multiple meanings in the stories of the two sons, Paul in Galatians four selects a single truth and uses it to drive home his message on freedom. One son was born because God promised. The other son was born because Abraham and Sarah doubted. Ishmael was a product of human impatience, the human trying to do God's work for him. Isaac was the result of God doing his own work. time. Ishmael caused nothing but trouble. Isaac continued in the faithful covenant of the freely loving God. The great disaster of Abraham's life was that he used Hagar to get what he thought God wanted for him. The great achievement of his life was what God did for him, apart from any programs or plans that he put into action. Now this is the contrast that we've seen throughout the series. That the gospel is the message not of what we must do for God, but of what God has done for us in the person and work of Jesus. And as a result, The Christian life is a life lived in the light of God's promises. But so often, we settle for manipulation and control rather than receiving and believing. Some of us recently read a book by the author Alan Noble entitled, You Are Not Your Own, uh, Belonging to God in an Inhuman World. And one of the things that uh, Noble argues that makes our world today inhuman is that its values are based on techniques that we have honed for increasing efficiency in every area of life. And he summarizes some of this in one section. He says, "Uh, perhaps you read a headline describing the latest research on how to lose weight and keep it off. Or perhaps it's an article outlining strategies for raising well-adjusted or successful children. Or it's a journaling method that promises to bring order to your chaotic life. Or instructions for how to properly wash a blouse or a tie. Or a new Bible reading plan, or a self-care regimen, or an app that designs a workout based on your interests, weight, height, age, sex, and available time. Or a method for organizing your house. You know, it goes on and on and on. The, The point is not that there's not lots of great advice out there to learn from. But the underlying message that we receive in our society today is just exhausting, that if you just follow the latest advice or research or what the experts are saying, you will finally reach the good life, uh, that you will be free. The gospel tells us that this is a mirage, that you'll never be able to manipulate or control your way into freedom that true freedom begins not with our programs and our plans that we put into action, but true freedom comes as we believe that we are already accepted and loved by God before we've done anything at all. This brings us to our second point today, because Paul says that these two different ways of life are rooted in what we believe about our relationship to God. The two sons and their mothers represent two covenants, he says, or or two different ways of relating to God. In verse 24, Paul says that Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, represents the covenant between God and his people at Mount Sinai, the, the covenant of law. And Sarah, the mother of Isaac, represents the covenant of grace. The law says, do this and you shall live. But the covenant of grace says, believe in Christ and you shall live. It turns out that we can seek efficiency and success in our religion as much as in any other area of life. And when we do this, we may think that we've reached the promised land. Uh, because we're using the language of Bible, of the Bible, or of of Christianity, we talk a lot about prayer or pursuing justice, but we're only ever left with guilt and striving to do better, because we see God as only a law, only as a lawgiver who urges us on, and never as a grace giver, who receives us in His love. And this is why. Paul culminates his appeal with this song from Isaiah 54. The the picture here is of a barren woman, a childless woman, crying out in joy even though she's never had children. In in the ancient world, uh, for a woman to go childless was viewed as a a shameful disaster of, of the worst kind. But Paul says that in the gospel... It's the woman who has nothing who's in a position to receive God's gift of grace. All you need is nothing. In uh, his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis offers uh, a helpful illustration of of these two different covenants, these two ways of thinking about a relationship with God. The the story of the great divorce, really it's, it's more of a parable is about a group of people uh, in hell who get on a tour bus to heaven. And once they've gotten off the bus in heaven, uh, these ghosts encounter people dressed in these bright white uh, robes who come out to to invite them to stay, uh, to stay in the beauty of heaven. Uh, But the ghosts are often reluctant to receive the offer. And one of the tourist ghosts is a, is a big man, now he's a big ghost, who in his life was the owner of a successful business. And he's very surprised to discover that one of his former employees the, who murdered a man is now in heaven and he comes out to meet him. The murderer uh, comes to the visiting ghost to try and convince him to accept uh, the forgiveness of his sins and enter into heaven. And listen to the conversation that transpires between these two. Well, I'm damned, said the ghost. I wouldn't have believed it. It's a fair knockout. It isn't right, Len, you know. What about poor Jack, eh? You look pretty pleased with yourself, but what I say is, what about poor Jack? He is here, said the other. You will meet him soon if you stay. But you murdered him. Of course I did. It is all right now. All right, is it? All right for you, you mean. But what about the poor chap himself, laying cold and dead? But he isn't. I've told you, you will meet him soon. He sent you his love. What I'd like to understand, said the ghost, is what you're here for, as pleased as punch. You, a bloody murderer, while I've been walking the streets down there and living in a place like a pigsty all these years. That is a little hard to understand at first, uh, but it is all over now. You will be pleased about it presently. Till then, there's no need to bother about it. No need to bother about it? Aren't you ashamed of yourself? No, not as you mean. I do not look at myself. I have given up myself. I had to, you know, after the murder. That was what did it for me, and that was how everything began. Personally, said the big ghost, I'd have thought you and I ought to be the other way round. That's my personal opinion. Very likely we soon shall be, said the other, if you'll stop thinking about it. Look at me now, said the ghost, slapping its chest, but the slap made no noise. I'd gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man, and I don't say I had no faults, far from it, but I'd done my best all my life, see, i done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it. And if I took my wages, I'd done my job. See, that's the sort I was, and I don't care who knows it. It would be better not to go on about that now. Who's going on? I'm not arguing. I'm just telling you the sort of chap I was, see? I'm asking for nothing but my rights. You may think you can put me down because you're dressed up like that, which you weren't when you worked under me, and I'm only a poor man, but I gotta have my rights, same as you see. Oh no, it's not as bad as that. I haven't got my rights, or I should not be here. You will not get yours either. You'll get my ra- far better, never fear. That's just what I say, I haven't got my rights. I always done my best, and I never done nothing wrong, And what I don't see is why I should be put below a bloody murderer like you. Who knows whether you will be? Only be happy and come with me. What do you keep on arguing for? I'm only telling you the sort of chap I am. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. Then do, at once, ask for the bleeding charity. (laughs) Everything is here for the asking and nothing can be bought. You see the point that Lewis is making. uh, In God's kingdom, it's the poor who are blessed. It's the barren woman who rejoices. It's the guilty and the ashamed who are set free. If you live according to the law, You will always insist on getting your rights, and you'll demand the same for others. But if you live according to grace, you will confess that you haven't gotten what you deserve, and that's the greatest gift imaginable. Salvation is by grace because there's no other way to be saved. Everything is here for the asking, and nothing can be bought. You can hear in that big ghost voice also uh, uh, a suspicion uh, that the God of heaven uh, really only cares about what he's done. That he can't admit his faults and be accepted by grace uh, because that's not the kind of God who rules in heaven. But the gospel invites us to see God in a whole new way. The gospel is free Not because it doesn't cost us, doesn't cost anything, but because Jesus is willing to pay the cost on our behalf. This is why it's significant that the verses Paul cites here from Isaiah 54 come right after Isaiah 53's portrayal of the suffering servant. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 6. When you believe that God has not just lowered the standard for you to enjoy fellowship with Him, but that the Son of God has died in your place and offers you His righteousness in exchange for your rags, this is what leads to true freedom and joy. And we've seen how holding on to the law without grace leads to pride, uh, looking down on other people who don't measure up, and and how it uh, results in a smug sense of self-righteousness. But if you hold up grace without the law, then you have little reason to rejoice because your acceptance didn't cost anything. But Jesus fulfills the law for us so we might rejoice in the grace that comes to us as gift. Now, the Catholic author Walker Percy once wrote, we love those most who know the worst of us and don't turn their faces away. And the Gospel says that God knows the worst of us, uh, but he doesn't turn his face away. Instead, he turns his face towards us in the face of Christ. When you believe that you're accepted and loved in him, uh, this is what leads to true freedom. And, and that, that freedom, uh, is of two kinds that uh, we can we can see here in this in these final verses of of our passage today the first uh, kind of freedom is a freedom from guilt and shame this is what i think paul is getting at in verse 30 in this rather strange quotation from genesis 21 about driving out the enslaved woman and her child Uh, you know we could talk a lot more about what is happening in that scene in Genesis where Hagar and Ishmael are sent out into the wilderness. But here in Galatians, I think Paul's point is pretty clear. If you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Jesus for your salvation, he's saying, get rid of any teaching that suggests that God is not pleased with you, that uh, he wants you to earn his affection that suggests that, that you don't really measure up. He's saying, those are false teachers. Hard things. Drive them out. You know, we've, we've heard Paul say some hard things to these Christians to whom he's writing in this letter, but notice how direct he is uh, here in verse 28 about their identity. Now you, my brothers and sisters, are children of the promise like Isaac and again in verse 31 he says so then brothers and sisters we are children not of an enslaved woman but of the free woman he's like that man in heaven calling out to these brothers and sisters saying come on in why would you turn around and go the other way away from this freedom come on in But Christians are not just free from something, free from our guilt and shame. Christians are also free for something, a new way of life in relationship with Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The the rest of this letter is, as we go on, We'll see, it focuses on the character of that freedom, uh, but it's a freedom that's rooted in a new confidence that you really are God's child and He loves you. And it's the question I want to end on today is what would it look like to go through your life really believing this? Really believing that God's starting point with you is always, you are my beloved child whom I love. And the question for us to ask today is, is do we really believe this? Here's a a question to ask yourself, to, to check. As you imagine God thinking of you right now, what is the look on His face? Do you picture God as disappointed or as angry or indifferent? Is he saying to you, I wish wish you'd get your act together. Or, if only you could do just a little bit more for me. Here's the truth, friends. The gospel truth is that in Christ, God is deeply satisfied with you. He is overjoyed in you as his adopted son or daughter. He delights in you, and there is nothing you can do to make him love you any more or any less. Uh, He loves you because he loves you. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. News of your grace once again. uh, We confess that uh, so often we're hesitant uh, to enter uh, truly into it. Uh, You know our wounds and uh, all the ways in which we uh, pull back from your love and resist your grace. And so I pray for each of us today that you would um, open us in a new way, a fresh way, to uh, trusting in you as our Father in heaven, uh, the God who's given us everything in in his Son, and that you would enable us to to believe this message uh, and to know that you have given us your very self, uh, that you've promised that we would be formed with Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so we uh, look to you today for all the for all that we need, and we pray in Jesus' name, Amen.